Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Fierce Calling podcast. I'm your host, author, blogger, and speaker, Doris Swift. This podcast is about a community of women who are rising above difficult circumstances of life and taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. I hope these stories inspire other women to take action and use their God-given gifts to impact the world for Christ. Because every woman who is a Christ follower has a fierce calling. Today, I welcome my friend, Dr. Michelle Bankson. Dr. Michelle knows pain and despair firsthand and combines her professional expertise and personal experience with her faith to help others be all God created them to be. Using sound practical tools, she affirms worth, encourages faith, and offers hope as a key to unlocking joy and relief, even in the midst of the storm. I know what Dr. Michelle has to say will bless you, so listen in while I have a chat with Dr. Michelle Bankson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have my friend with me, Dr. Michelle Bankston. She's an international speaker and the author of the best-selling award-winning Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, and the award-winning companion Hope Prevails Bible Study. And she also had a book that was recently released in September, Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. And she has been a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist for more than 20 years. Welcome today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Michelle. It's my delight, Doris. I'm so excited to be able to share hope for your listeners. Oh, such a blessing. And I know that just the titles of those books are amazing and just draw people right in because that is just so prevalent today. There's so many that, you know, are struggling and looking for hope and looking for ways to just overcome life's difficulties. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Mm. Well, when I was a little girl, I just knew that I was destined to be a writer. You know, I had one of those diaries, you know, the kind that has the lock and key that's supposed to keep your little brother out that mm-hmm. really does nothing, but <laughs> that was my prized possession. And I just knew I was supposed to write, mm-hmm. but somewhere along the line, um, when I was an adolescent, my father died. And my first thought when he died was, what do I have to do to help support the family? And my mother was from another country and she didn't have an education and she didn't have a trade. And so my biggest concern was for our family financially. And I thought, what can I do to help support? But my second thought was, this will not happen to me. If something ever happens to my husband, I want to be in a position to support my family. Well, little did I know that I was kind of speaking those words over us. And after I married, my husband was given a diagnosis of a very rare form of abdominal cancer. We left that doctor's appointment with the oncologist saying, Mr. Bankson, you need to get your affairs in order because you've got less than two years to live. And so I looked at the fact that I had pursued neuropsychology and that was going to be what supported our family. And I had to get through that time. And when difficult times come up, I just jump in and do more. And so I started working more and working more and working more to try to make up 
for when he wasn't able to work because he was having surgery and doing major chemotherapy. And during that time that I spent days upon days upon days, which turned into months of working over 100 hours a week, I would work until midnight, come home and take a shower, take a quick nap, and then I'd be back at the private practice by three or four in the morning. And it took a toll on my body, so much so that I became deathly ill and I was forced to be on medically induced bed rest for about five months. I couldn't work. I couldn't see patients. I went from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74 pounds. And during that time, I became so depressed because my worth had been wrapped up in what I did and I was no longer able to do. And so during that time, I just got more and more depressed because I couldn't go back to the office. I couldn't be much of a wife. I certainly wasn't much of a mother. And I remember crying out to the Lord and saying, God, if this is what my life is going to be, I'm not sure that I want to live it. I remember him speaking to me. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was like an impression in my heart. It was just a knowing. And, And he said, Michelle, I don't love you for what you do. I love you because you're mine. And if you keep working 24-7, I'm not going to love you anymore. But if you never do another thing for the kingdom, Mm -hmm. I won't love you any less. And that was the pivotal point in my relationship with God because it turned from a relationship where I was doing, I was striving to try to be lovable to God. Mm -hmm. Turned from that to then having a relationship where I knew I was loved by God. And anything I did was just bonus. Nice. That is so beautiful. And that is going to be so freeing for someone to hear that today. Because really, our identity, uh, we get confused about that and can be wrapped up in a lot of different things that we do. And I just love how the Lord just laid that right on your heart, that he wouldn't love you any less if you didn't do anything more for the kingdom. That's so beautiful. I needed physical healing, which I did. Mm -hmm. What I really needed was that spiritual healing to realize that I was already loved and accepted by the creator of the universe. Mm. And your sons were probably young at the time, right? They were very young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And I was doing it largely for my family thinking, you know, that their father was unable to work and he was sick. So I just felt like that's what I was supposed to do to help support the family. And it all went back to my childhood where that was the first thing I thought of after my father died is what do I have to do to support the family? And God does want us to work and Mm -hmm. he wants us to do our part, but he never called me to be my own provider. Mm -hmm. That's his job. And I was taking his job away from him. But it's changed everything because at that time, not only did I receive that revelation of the fact that I was already loved, I didn't have to earn it. If I never got out of that sick bed, I was loved completely already. But during that time, I went into a great depression and I was raised by a mother who was depressed the entire time I was in the home. We just didn't know it. We didn't have that term for it. Mm -hmm. I just thought that's just the way she was. So I had treated patients for decades at this point. And when that depression hit, 
I remember thinking, well, I know the answers because I'm the doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I went to counseling and I tried medication and I made sure that I was eating right. And I was trying to make sure I was getting enough rest. And once I became physically able, I was getting enough exercise and all those things helped but they weren't enough to fully take the depression away. And again, I cried out to God and said, you've got to show me what the missing link is because I will not be a doctor who suggests things unless I know they work. Mm -hmm. And all these things that I learned in mm -hmm. school and then told patients for years, they were helpful, but they weren't enough. And I remember the Lord saying, Michelle, as long as you're not addressing the spiritual component of disease, it is like you're putting a Band-Aid on an infection and hoping it gets well. Wow. And the light bulb went off because I had been addressing the physical mm -hmm. and the emotional and the mental, but I had not been addressing the spiritual. I didn't even know there could be a spiritual component of depression. So that took me on a journey of learning what is that and how do we combat that? That's why the subtitle of the book is Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. And the Lord showed me that we've got to be willing to address that because we've got an enemy. The Bible says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And when it comes to depression, we have an enemy who tries to steal our joy, mm -hmm. kill our peace, and destroy our identity. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't get the final say. Amen. And that was such a second crucial learning point for me. That changed everything for how I worked with patients in my private practice, how I parented my children, how I'm a spouse to my husband, and even how I'm a friend. Because I realized what it means to have to renew your mind and to take your thoughts captive and to stand on truth. Mm -hmm. That was probably the second biggest revelation I ever got. And it's changed the rest of my life. Oh, that's amazing. You know, having that spiritual battle plan, that is actually the most important piece, right? Yes. So when you um, began using this in your practice and you've been there, so that's another thing that we all know is like, if we go through different struggles and things and difficulties that God can use that, you know, so that we can help other people and understand where they're coming from. So how did that pivot your um, practice and how you helped your patients? Oh, in such a dramatic way. In fact, the first day that I went back to my private practice, I was still on IV hydration and nutrition. And my arms were bruised from my shoulder to my wrist. And the doctor gave me permission to go back just for a few hours at a time until I built up my strength and until I could get off the IVs. And I remember thinking, Lord, I can't go back like this. They're not going to have respect for me and they're, they're not going to listen to me. And it's so interesting how God and his sovereignty works because a brand new patient that I had that very first day back, her arms were bruised as well because she was going through a medical battle. Mine were covered up until she started talking about her story. And then she said, I'm sure you don't understand. And I thought, oh my word, mm -hmm. I do understand. And so I took off my sweater and I showed her my arms and I said, I've been in a similar battle. Mm -hmm. And what I learned through that was that it's all well and good to be the doctor with the education, mm -hmm. but people don't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Mm -hmm. 
And now when I see patients who are going through depression or anxiety or a health scare, I can say I understand because I really do. I was always a compassionate doctor before, but now that well of compassion is just bubbling over because I do get it. Our circumstances will never be identical to someone else, but pain is pain. And I've had to go through physical ailments, depression, anxiety, the loss of a parent, and a sick spouse. When patients come in and I say, I understand, they know mm-hmm. I understand. It's not just a clinical, I get it. They say, no, you, you really do understand. And what a difference that is. You know, scripture says that God will comfort us so that we can comfort others out of the comfort he's given us. And mm-hmm. I saw that in real life action it makes such a difference. Mm, That's so impactful. And I could just see that unfolding in my mind as you were describing that very first patient that you saw and how you revealed to her how you also have been through a difficult road. And it just really draws people together, right? It really does. I mean, I was afraid that I would not be accepted in essence because I was broken. I was Mm -hmm. flawed. And when it comes to depression, I thought, Nobody wants to be the poster child for depression. Mm. I was concerned that patients wouldn't listen, that referral sources would stop referring, uh, you name it. And Mm. what I came to realize is those were all lies that I was believing because really people are more apt to listen when they know that you've got a shared experience and that you can relate to their suffering. Mm -hmm. And in both of those situations, I saw that to come true. I didn't know why I was going back to the office that day. I was still not fully well. I was still on IVs, but God knew why I was going back. And that particular patient needed to know her doctor got it. Her doctor understood and could have compassion for her suffering. And I think that made such a difference for her. I wasn't just a doctor out of the yellow pages or off an insurance list. I was a doctor hand chosen by God to relate to her suffering. And isn't that what we all want? We all want to know that we're seen, that we're heard, and that we're cared for. Yes, yes. And such a confirmation for her that it was a divine appointment and filled with hope. You know, she probably walked out of that office that day just with a whole new hope-filled perspective, right? As she got ready to walk out, she said, can I give you a hug? Oh, of course we can. That's the other thing we all need is we need that physical touch, you know, mm-hmm. and it made such a difference for her, but it was so faith building for me mm-hmm. to learn that I can trust even my brokenness, that God will use that for good. And that's one of the things that has been so profound to me is that I've been able to tell people from a place of knowing mm-hmm. that God never wastes our pain mm-hmm. ever. It doesn't matter what kind of pain, whether it's divorce or loss of a child or financial pain or relationship difficulty, he never wastes it. And if we're willing to give him the broken pieces of our life, he will mold it into something beautiful in exchange. 
Mm, that's so precious. Yeah, because oftentimes we feel like, especially in a role of a doctor or, you know, someone that is a professional or in the church, you know, putting on your best face and not allowing people to actually see what's really going on because there is such a stigma still as far as depression and that kind of thing. And um, I think people probably aren't willing to share, but boy, what a difference it totally made in all of the lives that you've been able to touch by sharing your story. There is still a stigma, but because of that, I think it's incumbent upon us to share all the more Mm. so that we can demonstrate nobody's immune to this. You might not struggle with it, but don't look down on people who do because truly nobody's immune. I thought, how could I go through this? I was the doctor. I had all the answers. I was a believer in Christ. How? could this happen? Mm -hmm. And what it showed me is that it can happen to anybody. Yes. That's so encouraging because there's someone listening that is struggling right now and you just never know what a difference it's going to make in their life, you know? So tell us about your book. How did that start? How did you decide that you're going to write that book? (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because that was not the book I intended to write. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I went to a writer's conference and I I was going to write a resource book for parents who had autistic children because I had seen so many of those families in my office and I knew they needed support. But when I was at this conference, it was a God-ordained appointment that I can see now. Someone asked me a few questions and it was in front of the entire auditorium full of people. Hmm. And he asked me, he said, you mentioned a statistic earlier today, and I'm wondering if you would share that for our audience. And I said, sure. And that was that by 2020, the current year that we are in, that depression will be our greatest epidemic worldwide. Wow. He goes, so if there was one thing that you wanted people here to know, what would that be? And I said, well, I'm here to tell you that it's not over until God says it's over. And I relayed that I was a premature baby weighing less than three pounds back in the day where babies less than three pounds weren't expected to live. And if they did, they were expected to have mental deficiencies or physical deformities. And then when I was three years old, I became deathly ill and doctors didn't know what it was. Now they say it was something like polio or something like Rye syndrome, although they never did figure it out. But I had such a high fever and they told my parents what to do to try to get that fever down because they were concerned about brain damage. So my parents did everything they suggested. They gave me alcohol rubs and ice baths and nothing worked. And so the doctor said, okay, we'll give her aspirin. Well, what they did not know is I'm deathly allergic to aspirin. And so my parents gave me the aspirin and my body went into anaphylactic shock. And so they had to try to pump as much of that out of my system as they could, but it left me with a physical deformity. But what those circumstances taught me is that, you know, something didn't want me to live. Clearly, it was premature when I shouldn't have lived, and I did. And then I had this illness, and doctors had warned my parents that I would die. If I didn't die, I'd have physical and cognitive limitations. But 
God has the final word. Mm. So I shared that at this conference and I had editors and agents approaching me and saying, when you write that book on depression, I want you to send it to me. And I left that conference dumbfounded because I thought when I write that book on depression, (laughs) write a book on depression, I was going to write a book for parents with autistic children. (laughs) I went home and I prayed about it and the Lord said, no, you need to write that book. All right. That's not the book I had planned, but okay. And then he said, but then you need to share your story because we already have enough books written by doctors. And I thought, mm-hmm. share my story. Because at that point, my story just amounted to the fact that I was raised in a home with a depressed mother. Mm-hmm. Her mother was depressed. Her sister was depressed. And I went through postpartum depression after the birth of our first son. But mm-hmm. I argued with the Lord and said, I don't think that story is very impactful. Well, it was two weeks to the day after I told him I would write the book that I became so deathly ill and that led into depression. So I said I would write the book about depression before I went through my severe bout of depression. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned what spiritual warfare is. I'd never heard that term before. I was brought up in a denomination where they didn't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And so I began to learn what is spiritual warfare, but more importantly, how do we fight it? Wow. Out of that came a much different book because I didn't write it just as the doctor with a lot of head knowledge. I wrote it as both someone who understands the clinical side, but as someone who went through it and was on the other side. Mm. And it was so well received because of that, because Mm. people, as they were reading it, they're like, she understands. And then my readers wrote to me and said, when are you going to write a Bible study? I said, oh no, I don't write Bible (laughs) studies. And they kept writing and they'd say, we really would like a Bible study. And I thought, I don't know why you need a Bible study. This book is chock full of scripture. Mm-hmm. But they kept writing saying, please write a Bible study. And I kept saying, no, I'm not Beth Moore. I'm not Priscilla Shire. I'm not <laughs> Kelly Minter. And finally, one day after I'd gotten one of those emails, I felt like the Lord said, Michelle, you might not write Bible studies, but I write the best ones. Mm-hmm. And I swallowed hard and went, yes, sir. it was like of course you do like (laughs) why why didn't I think about that before so I said Lord if you will help me I will write a companion Bible study and really Mm -hmm. the Hope Prevails Bible study was written in a way that if you were reading my first book Hope Prevails it was a great side-by-side companion and you could go through both of them But I also wrote it so that if you had never read Hope Prevails and you only wanted to do the Bible study, it would stand alone. Mm. And so I did that and it was well received. And then my readers from the Hope Prevails and the Hope Prevails Bible study would write to me and say, when are you going to write a book on anxiety? (laughs) And I went, oh no, no, I don't want to write another heavy hitting topic. Like we just finished depression. (laughs) I want to write about iced tea or chocolate, right? You know, I want something fun. Yeah. But it didn't take too long or too many emails for my readers to realize Mm -hmm. a book on anxiety is the next natural step for me because so many people who struggle with depression also struggle with anxiety. Not everybody but so many that I had seen in my private practice. And even if you haven't struggled with depression, anxiety is considered the common cold of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that it is so prevalent. I mean, over 40 million American adults 
struggle with it. Mm -hmm. And it's so common that we have come to tolerate it just like we tolerate the winter cold. You know, winter hits and we just think, well, of course I'm going to get the cold. And we tolerate that cold. Well, we now tolerate anxiety and worry and fear like we don't have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. And so that book was birthed out of the desire to show people that worry, fear, and anxiety are not our portion, but God's peace is, and we don't have to put up with it anymore. Amen. When you were telling that story about the uh, depression and that you were asked to write the book before you actually went through (laughs) the depression, my jaw was like dropped. You couldn't see it, but I was like, oh, you know, because God knows what's around the corner. He knows what's going on and what the future holds and and then how your readers were just telling you what they need. They felt like, Dr. Michelle, you just have to write this book. And quite honestly, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. Because Mm -hmm. if you had told me that I was going to have to suffer with a severe bout of depression to write that book, Mm -hmm. in all honesty, I probably would have said no. Then I'm not writing that book. I mean, who wants to sign up for depression or anxiety or cancer or anything like that? So God in his infinite wisdom got me to say yes before I knew what that meant. And I'm grateful now that I went through it because Mm -hmm. I can relate on such a deeper level. I mean, one in four are going to be diagnosed. So if you just look at a typical family out to eat, at least one of them will probably struggle with some degree of depression in their lifetime. So this book was needed Mm -hmm. to show that we don't have to put up with that either. And God's got so much more for us. But if you had told me I was going to have to suffer, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have said no. Yeah. So he, he got me to say yes. And then I went through it, but I learned so much. It's changed my life. It's changed my patients' lives, even my kids, because my kids now know how to engage in the spiritual battle. And I love it because they will speak truth back to me because what I share in all my books is the fact that we've come to believe lies Mm -hmm. and we've got to replace those lies with God's truth. And my kids are quick to pick up on that. I remember one time I was at a speaking engagement and I needed to do PowerPoint slides and technology is not my first love. (laughs) So I can write words and I can speak, but I don't like having to do PowerPoints and stuff. It's just, it doesn't work with my mind. So a friend was going to help me and she said, well, I just need to know what it is you're trying to achieve with these slides. And I remember saying out loud, she wasn't there. She had told me that. And I was thinking out loud and I said, I don't know. I'm just so stupid. And my youngest son, who was 10 at the time, Mm -hmm. said, only if you believe that, mom. Out of the mouths of babes. Absolutely. And I thought, you're right. I am not stupid. I just need to slow down, Mm -hmm. think about what I want to convey, and then convey it to her so she can help me make these slides. I'm not stupid. That's a lie. So I'm going to refuse to accept that lie. And so I love it because my kids are so much better equipped than I was at their age. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you were talking about how oftentimes we tend to just accept things like it's the norm or that, you know, like you say, that we don't have a choice when that that's a lie. And so revealing the truth and absolutely someone did not want you around Dr. Michelle because, you know, that that is just some powerful 
simple truth right there. And somebody needed to hear that today. So I so appreciate that. And breaking anxiety's grip. Yes. Anxiety is just hard for people to know how they can get out of it because they try to do it on their own. And what I've learned is that people by and large don't realize the power of their words. Mm. I'm forever hearing friends, family, clients, you name it, say things like, well, I'm just afraid that, or well, I'm just worried about, or I'm just anxious about. And when we do that, we're actually giving the spirit of fear permission to bring about worry, fear, and anxiety in our life. Hmm. We've got to pay attention to the words that we speak over ourselves and the words that we speak over others. We want to speak light. And scripture says the blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Mm-hmm. And our words have the power of life and death. And I take that very seriously. And so when I start to recognize that worry or fear or anxiety is creeping up, I actually talk back to it. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, you do not get to rule me. God died so that I could have his peace. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to live in a state of peace. I'm going to trust God for this. I am not going to be afraid. I am not going to worry. I am not going to be anxious. And when we speak back to it, it makes a big difference. Mm, Yeah. It's like, I guess in a way, activate something in the spiritual realm too. It does because it takes back our authority. Mm. Scripture says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And when we speak back to it like that, we're speaking with power because God said, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Instead, it says, be strong and courageous. Fear not. And so when we talk back to it, we are using the power that God has given us. And when we speak scripture out or we pray scripture into our situation, We're appropriating the power that God gave us. Mm. And when we speak the name of Jesus, every other name has to bow. And that includes depression, anxiety, cancer, you name it. Mm. It's got to bow to the name of Jesus. And so that's appropriating the power he gave us. And he says that he gave us his sound mind. Well, if you are a Christ follower, then you have the mind of Christ, which means you can approach these situations just like Jesus did when he was in the wilderness and he was being tempted. He quoted scripture. He said, it is written. And he spoke the scripture and scripture will stand. And so by saying no to anxiety, I'm really just appropriating the power, love, and sound mind that God gave us. And that's the kind of prayer he wants to answer. Mm, That's awesome. Well, if you were to think of one thing you would want the listener to know right now, Dr. Michelle, what would that be? It would be that God loves you so much with an everlasting love. And as long as you have a relationship with him, you have a reason to hope. Mm -hmm. That's why my book is called Hope Prevails, because as long as God is still on his throne, Mm -hmm. we have hope for today and for tomorrow and for each next tomorrow. But God doesn't want you to merely survive. He wants you to thrive because we serve a God of abundance. Mm. 
And he's got so much more for each of us and so much more for each of us to do if we will just trust him in it. And that's where so much of our anxiety comes from. It comes because we misappropriate that trust and put it in our circumstances or in our situations instead of trusting him. Mm, So true. And we have a fierce calling to walk in. So we don't have time for all of that mess. (laughs) We need to walk in that truth. And how can they find your books? And how can they connect with you, Dr. Michelle? They can find me on my website at Dr. Michelle B. That's Dr. MichelleB.com. And I'm on all the socials as Dr. Michelle Bankson. And my books, all three of them are at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book Distributors, and wherever books are sold. That's amazing. And thank you. And I think you said you had a giveaway as well. I do. Because I found that knowing the scriptures makes such a difference when it comes to dealing with depression and worry and fear and anxiety. I've got a PDF of my favorite scriptures to help combat worry, fear, and anxiety for all of your listeners. And I think we'll put that link in your show notes so that they can get it. That's great. That sounds wonderful. And I'll put also all the links in the show notes where they can connect with you. And thank you so much for offering that. That's amazing. And thank you for taking the time out to spend time with us and share what God's been doing in your life and how you are bringing hope to other people through the things that you've experienced as well. All in the name of Jesus, further in the kingdom, right? Yes, it is my joy. And when I get to do that and share my story that will help someone else, that is like bringing beauty for ashes. And so there's no greater joy than to do that. Oh, that's so special and sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining me, friend. And I'll be talking with you soon and you have a blessed evening. Thank you, you as well. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found amazing nuggets of godly wisdom from Dr. Michelle that will help you or someone in your life find hope in the midst of difficult circumstances because life is tough. And as Dr. Michelle said, God never wastes our pain and he can redeem it and help us bring comfort to others through the comfort he's given us. For more hope, you can connect with Dr. Michelle at her website, drmichellebankson.com and you can find her on most social media platforms. There's also a seven-day version Bible reading plan for Breaking Anxiety's Grip. And if you love podcasts, she's a popular podcast show host of Your Hope-Filled Perspective with Dr. Michelle Bankson. I'll post all those links in the show notes so you can connect with her because I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. I'd also love to connect with you, so subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Then hop on over to my blog at daraswift.com And subscribe there too. Grab free resources I have for you there and read my inspirational posts. Drop me a note too because I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear if any of these episodes thus far has inspired you in some way to use your gifts to impact the world. Friend, God loves you. He sees you and he never wastes your pain. Replace the lie that God is far from you with the truth that God is with you always, even in the darkest times. In my quiet time with the Lord, I was struck by a verse in Exodus 20. The Israelites feared God's presence, and we read in Exodus 20, 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. God meets us in our pain, even in the thick darkness, even when we can't see what's next. And hope does prevail, as Dr. Michelle says, and as she shared with you, God loves you with an everlasting love. I hope you'll join me next week when I invite another woman 
who can share her story, how she is taking action, where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, have a blessed week, friend, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.